you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 3. We sang this song at uh, our spring uh, presentation, and after uh, we sang it, Pastor Scott came up and said, man, you guys ought to sing that again sometime. And I thought, what a special day to sing that today uh, as we celebrate uh, our graduates and uh, their accomplishments uh, that they have seen through the years. So um, what does this song, or where does the song come from? Well, it comes from Psalm chapter 3, and how can it today uh, encourage us? And so my hope and my prayer uh, is that, uh, you know, it's 1139. Uh, we're supposed to get out here at 1145. Um, that's not going to happen. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just let you know that up front. Um, but it's one time a year, right? Well, really not. It's that way every Sunday. So, uh, <laughs> We were at the beach this past weekend at Garden City Chapel by the Sea, and uh, one of Pastor Scott's buddies is the, uh, he, is, he serves on staff there. He's the director, and he's the pastor of the church at Garden City Chapel by the Sea. His name's Robert Shaw, and um, so they served at uh, Parkwood in Gastonia, and um, so, but that's where their similarities end. Um, we were at church service on Sunday morning that started at 10 o'clock. And uh, we had a regular church service. We sang some songs. We had the announcements and, you know, watched a video and did all the things that we normally do in a typical service. And, and then Robert Shaw got up to preach. And at 10.55, he said, amen, and he was done. Did y'all hear me? 10.55. If you do the math, that's like 55 minutes for the whole deal. And, and I was behind the students, and they turned around and looked at me and said, is that all? <laughs> We're, we're not yet. Yeah, they just wanted more. Exactly. Scott Davis wasn't there. So, uh, uh, but uh, it, was, it was an incredible weekend. But uh, that's where uh, Pastor Scott and Robert Shaw's similarities end. Uh, just that they served together at Parkland. Anyway, hey, we're going to read Psalm 3 together. So if you would, uh, stand with me in honor of God's word uh, as we read this together. O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing will be on your people. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and ask your guidance as we study your word. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit imparts truth to us. Father, that we may know and understand what you are teaching us. God, I do pray uh, that you would guard my mouth and, and, and allow me to say the things that you would have me to say. Father, that, that would bring uh, uh, edification to this body and glory in your name. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is it that you can be certain of in life? What is it that you can be sure of? What are some certainties in life? Um, a few weeks ago, our mission trip uh, team shared their experiences in Malawi and uh, some of you were here for that, uh, some of you weren't. So I just want to repeat a story that was, that was told there. There's a story told by Aaron Ford. And uh, see what we did, we uh, went to villages each day to do preaching, uh, do skits, 
do uh, dramas and things like this, watch a Jesus film and, and preach. And, and so we were starting out our day on the last day and uh, we divided up our preaching between me, uh, Chris Edgerton and uh, Scott Barfield. And as we were on the way to the village, uh, I asked uh, Scott or sometime I asked Scott, I said, Scott, how you feeling? Because he was supposed to preach that day. He said, man, I'm as nervous as a lamb on Passover. <laughs> Didn't you say that, Scott? You sure did. So, uh, but we were, we were, we were uh, all gathered together. It was a huge mob of people, 350, 400 people, just like in one big glob of people. I mean, shoulder to shoulder, nobody could move. And they sat there and they listened intently. And then when Scott said, amen, all of a sudden, man, the crowd just broke out, <sighs> made like a big donut. You know, there's a hole in the middle, you know? And then I said, what's the deal? And all of a sudden I looked and there was a snake slithering through and, and people were scared except for Aaron Ford. And so Aaron Ford goes out there in a pair of Crocs. Now Crocs are nothing but glorified sandals, okay? And so he's going out there and he is stomping on the snake with Crocs on. And I, and I look over to Pastor Henry, who's one of the Malawian pastors, and I said, what is that? He said, that's a mamba, that's a black mamba. Y'all, black mamba is one of the deadliest snakes in the world. And here Aaron Ford is from our church going out there and trying to stomp it and kill it with Crocs on his feet. I'm certain of a couple things. Number one, I don't care what kind of snake it was. I don't care how big it was. This boy would not be out there stomping any snake at any time. Certain of that, only good snake's a dead snake. And I'm certain of this is that if Aaron Ford knew that it was a black mama and one bite from black mama could done, be done, I don't think he'd be out there stomping it, number one, much less in a pair of Crocs. So certain of that. Silly illustration to, to get us thinking about what's certain in life. Really, what is certain? I want to offer two truths to you this morning, two points. That's all I got, two points from this passage of Scripture that are certain. One's bad, one's real bad, but the other one trumps the bad, okay? So let's go. The first one is this, is that we have an enemy, and he's against us. We have an enemy, and he's against us. Look with me again in verses 1 and 2. It says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. You see, this psalm is entitled the Psalm of David when he was fleeing from his son, Absalom. And the background of this psalm uh, uh, is found in 2 Samuel, starting in chapter 15, and it goes through chapter 18. And so the story uh, of David, you know how he uh, uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he tried to cover it up by killing uh, Uriah, uh, her husband. And then the prophet Nathan confronted David, and, and David prayed, you know, God forgive me, created me a clean heart and all this. And then, though, uh, this is years later where David is reaping sort of the consequences of his own sin. And what's happening is here is God is allowing Absalom to rise up against him. His own son, his own son. The enemy was using Absalom, his own son, to rise up against him and to come against him. And we find this story again in 2 Samuel, starting in chapter 15. You see, Absalom was getting the crowd to come with him as they were kicking David out of the holy city, Jerusalem. And not only was he getting people to come with him, he was amassing a crowd. And so there was lots of people joining Absalom so that he could take over. And David was fleeing from Jerusalem when he wrote this psalm. And that's why he says, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him and God. And see what they were doing. They were trying to throw back on David the sins of his past. 
And see, that's what the enemy does. The enemy takes the sins of our past and says, you're not good enough for forgiveness. You're just a hypocrite. There's no way that you can be king. There's no way that you can be a, a good father, a good husband or whatever. You know, there's, there's just no hope for you, David. There's no hope for you and God. And so the enemies were coming against David in this form. You see, we have many enemies. Guys, I wish I could tell you it were not so. But the truth is we do have an enemy and he is not for us. He is against us. He was out to destroy David and he's out to destroy us. The Bible tells us that the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy. And that's what he wants to do in our life. Even in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I'd love to tell you different, but I love you enough not to. We need to be sober, be, be ever mindful of how the enemy is out to destroy us. And not, not just that it goes for the graduates, it goes for all of us. I mean, you know, uh, we could be ripe targets every day when we go into our workplace, or when you walk the halls of, of your dorm at school, whatever the case might be. Just know that the enemy is not for you. He is against you. You see, we suffer because of our own sin. That's true. We suffer because of our own sin, but we also suffer because of the sin of others. And we suffer because we live in a fallen world. And we suffer, number one, because we have an enemy, and that enemy is Satan. And see, here's the deal. We're just like David, right? If you think about it, we're like David. We suffer because of our own sin. We suffer because people sin against us. We suffer because uh, we live in a fallen world and we suffer because we have an enemy and he is Satan. You see, David was in great despair. He was almost at the point of depression. Some say that he was depressed when he wrote this psalm. David's enemy was so oppressive that it caused him great grief. 2 Samuel 15, verse 30 says, But David went up to the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. Listen, the enemy wants to cause you great grief. He wants to cause us great grief. He wants us to have no joy. He wants us to have no joy in this day. But, but we know better. Not only does he cause us great grief, he causes us great danger. Matthew Henry says of this psalm, the plot against him, David, lay deep. The party that sought to ruin him was very formidable and his own son was at the head of him. Think of that. Think of the weight of that. How David longed to bless his son, how David longed to love his son, and here his son is rising up in a rebellion against him. Think of the depression that caused in David's heart. And he cries out to the Lord, God, my foes are many. And my son's one of them. It shouldn't be like this, but it is so. Sometimes, you know what? The enemy will come at us at all angles. And we learn in verse six that his enemies surrounded him. And so it's, it's not easy, guys. But the, the, the plain and simple truth, the certainty that we have an enemy is a sad certainty, but it is a certainty. David's enemy caused the closest to him to be against him. Think about the ones that were once loyal to him. Think about the ones that were subject to him under his kingship. Now are turning against him. So he, David has all these people turning against him. His foes are many. They are great. Our foes, just as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, will be many and they will be great. Because the Lord said, Jesus, he said this, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Who? The enemy will use whoever to persecute us. We have an enemy and he is not for us. 
He is against us. Wow, this is great, Kevin. Thank you so much for sharing that with me today on Graduate Recognition Sunday. What a great sermon topic, right? But as Paul Harvey would say, y'all don't know him? Most of you do. And now the rest of the story. Second point. First point, we have an enemy. His name's Satan, and he's against us, and he will employ whatever he can to bring us down. But here's the second point. Just as much as the enemy is against us, God is for us. God is for us. That is the greatest news that I can offer you today. First part, bad news. This part, great news. Not only this great news, the greatest news that you can have is to know that God is for you. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, this very thing, that if God be for us, who can be against us? You see, David knew this, and he started outlining this in verse 3 of this Psalm, chapter 3. His first two verses are about his complaint to the Lord. Lord, there, there are many foes against me. But in verse 3, he turns the corner. And what he does is he takes the eyes off the enemy. He takes his eyes off his depression. He takes his eyes off of his despair. He takes his eyes off the thing that the enemy is using to bring him down. And he turns them to God swiftly with the word but. And he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. So the number one way that we know that God is for us, the number one way that David knew that God was for him was that God would be his shield. We see it right there in verse three. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. We just sang it. Did you know that God is your shield this morning? And what does that mean that God is our shield? What does that look like? We need to understand something, though, here about the word shield. You see, uh, uh, some people would argue that being shielded by God means that you'll never have any hardship. And if you have just enough faith, life will be great for you. You won't have any financial hardship. You won't have any health problems. Nobody will come against you. Only if you just have enough faith. Well, guys, let me tell you, that's a false gospel. And it won't be taught from this pulpit or in our Sunday school rooms at all because it's false. David, a saint of God, was in the middle of hardship. All the saints of the Old Testament, guess what? They experienced hardship. Most of the disciples died and were martyred and killed. They experienced hardship. So it can't be that, you know, that they were being shielded from, from, from persecution because we all go through persecution, right? So what is David meaning here? You know, the scriptures, you know, replete with, uh, with examples of uh, God being our shield. Genesis 15, 1, that we'll refer to later. After these things, the word of God came to, uh, the word of God, uh, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. And again, in 2 Samuel 22, verses 31, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And then Psalm 84, 11, and we could go on and on and on and on, uh, but Psalm 84, 11 says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. So what does it mean? What all these inferences mean that God is our shield? Well, I think we need to know and understand what it says here in verse three. It says this shield is around us. This shield is, this shield is all about us. Okay, now in battle, there are lots of shields, but one of the shields that uh, warriors would use is that little hand shield. Y'all have seen it in movies all the time. And it's just, it just covers just a little bit from here to here. They'd use that to block a punch or whatever. And they would use the, their other hand to, to club their adversary or whatever. But that's not the kind of shield here that, that we learn about. The kind of shield that, that we're learning about here is the shield that, that is all around us. And in commentaries, commentaries state that basically this shield was almost like the size of a door and it curved around you. So you had protection from head to toe. The only place that you didn't have protection was the backside. You know, it's like those hospital gowns. They need to fix those. That's crazy. 
Whoever came up with those, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. So what does that mean to us? What does that indicate to us that this shield is our, 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 our head high all the way to our feet, but it's open in the back? It means this. It means that the shield is for us when we follow our general's voice into battle. Guys, listen, when you go to school next year, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle to, to, because you're going to have people come against you and say, much like they taunted David, there's no hope for you. There's no salvation. God's not real. And, you know, we get that sometimes at work, too. Uh, you know, like, hey, uh, we get all kinds of persecution at work. You know, God is not drawing, drawing us out of that. He's pushing us into that and saying, listen, I have a shield for you in that that will protect you. But that shield only works when you are moving forward into the battle. You know, I like to run. And I don't run very well. Uh, but I've liked to run for several years now. And the older I get, the harder I find that it is to run. And so uh, one of my favorite things to do, though, when I run is to listen to music. And uh, did y'all know that, that, that Rocky, the movie Rocky, is like the best movie ever? No amens on that? Come on, y'all need to watch Rocky. I mean, they go Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, Apollo. I mean, they're just coming out. It's awesome. Uh, but... Not only is it one of the greatest movies, it's like, you know, the greatest theme music, right? I mean, everybody knows that, right? Dun, 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 dun. I mean, and so when I am listening to music there, I've got, I've got a good playlist, you know, and I listen to music. But when I'm about ready to quit, man, I click that thing on Rocky. I'm like, oh, man, that can help me take the next step because my mind is saying, stop. Man, just stop. What are you doing? Just stop it, right? Quit running. And then that Rocky music comes on. It gets me pumped up, man. I'm ready to go. A few years ago, a couple years ago, Amelia Edgerton and I were running at the beach and we set out to run a four mile. And, uh, and we were listening to the music on my phone, had it blaring and all these songs would come on. And I thought about two and a half miles because it was hot and humid. I was ready to stop. I said, I need Rocky right now. Rocky, you need to come to our rescue. Boom, press Rocky. And, but we had a mile and a half to go, right? And so we had to keep on repeat, 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 repeat. <laughs> One that hit is it shielded my mind from quitting. And as, as you get older, things start happening to your body. And uh, I have this stuff called plantar fasciitis. I don't know if I have a witness in here for that. I'm sure some of you have had that very painful thing with your foot. And so I went to Dick's Sporting Goods and I got a cushion for my shoe. I put it in my shoe and, and that sort of shielded my foot from the pain that said stop running. As you follow your general's voice into battle, don't quit. Don't retreat. Do not turn around. Onward, Christian soldier, because God is your shield. Charles Spurgeon says, are you fighting the adversary today? Are Satan, the world, and the flesh all against you? Be not discouraged or dismayed. 
fight on, for God himself is with you. God is your banner. He is your healer. Fear not. You shall overcome. For who can defeat omnipotence? Fight on, looking unto Jesus. And though long and stern be the conflict, sweet will be the victory. And glorious the promised reward. For strength to strength, go on. Wrestle and fight and pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day. Do not give up. And the reason you don't have to give up is to know that God is for you and he is your shield. Well, the second reason that we know God is for us is that he's our glory. We see that also come to life in verse three. It says, but you, O Lord, are shield about me and you're my glory. But it's preceded by the word, but. Why did David put, but you're my shield, but you're my glory? Well, maybe it's because he sought his glory in other things that had failed him. Can you see David putting his, his glory? And when we talk about glory, we talk about when you ascribe weight to something, when you sub, 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 subscribe significance to something, you, you give it value. And so can you see at some point in David's life where he gave so much value to his kingship? Maybe he gave value to being a husband. Maybe he gave value to being a father. Maybe he gave value to being popular. Maybe he gave value in just being a great leader. Whatever the case might be, this is all stripped away right now. Then he calls on God because he knows ultimately that all these things have failed and all these things will fail when we ascribe and put our glory into those things. Are they bad things? Absolutely not. I wanna be a good leader. I wanna be a good dad. I wanna be a good husband. I'm sure you guys wanna be a good student, but when you put all your glory, all your eggs into that basket and that fails you some way, somehow, then you will know and understand that the only glory that lasts forever is the glory that we seek in the Lord Jesus Christ. And David says, you are my glory. First Peter 1.24 says, all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is a flower of the grass. The grass wither and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. A couple years ago, when we were on another Malawi mission trip, we were uh, in a village there and we did Bible school in the villages. Each day we, we chose one village and we did Bible school every day there. And uh, the first day we, we chose to, to, to give them this drink called Sobo. It's a fruit concentrate and you mix it with water and it makes this punch. And, uh, and so we are out on the, on the mission field and we're serving that to them in these styrofoam cups. And you know, the first day, awesome. But we noticed as they went home from the first day, they took these styrofoam cups with them because they're so resourceful. They don't, I mean, they don't waste anything. And so they come back the next day and they were wanting to use that cup. I mean, it was dirty, it had holes in it. And we'd mix the drink and we'd pour the drink in there and guess what? I mean, they couldn't get the cup to their mouth quick enough because it was, it was just spilling out so quick. They didn't want a new cup. You know, sometimes I liken that to when we try to put our glory in something else. When we locate our glory in something else, it's like drinking water from a cup with holes in it. Guys, let me encourage you today. All of us, all of us. Yeah, be a good dad, be a good husband, be a good student, whatever you do, let your hand do it for God's glory. But ultimately find your glory in God. Isn't it a privilege? Isn't it awesome that we can do that? That he even allows us to find our glory in him? I think, no, I know for certain that God is for us because he allows us to find our glory in him. The third thing this morning, quickly, is that 
God is for us because he is the lifter of our heads. We see that also in verse three. But you, O Lord, are shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So what does it mean that God is the lifter of my head? David is saying that even though I have failed as a king and a friend and a husband and as a father and even as a believer in every way possible, I felt I have confidence in the fact that my head will be lifted once more. My head will be lifted again. He's writing the psalm and his head is down, but he's saying, you know what? I have confidence that God will lift my head one more time. The NIV application commentary states that God is the giver of dignity and also the one who lifts up the head of the psalmist. The, contemporary, the commentary goes on to say that lifting the head is a public indication of dignity and honor and for the king to lift one's head is a sign of acceptance and approval. David knew this. David knew, or he, wouldn't else, he would not have written that you are the lifter of my head. How did David know? What did David uh, have faith in that, that would cause him to think that you are the lifter of my head? One of the cross references to Psalm chapter three is Genesis 15. Don't have time to read it all uh, in here this morning, but I would encourage you to, to read that because I really believe that this is something that, that David is, he's meditating on. Remember a while ago I said, you meditate on the word of God. I believe David was meditating on this as he was writing the psalm so that he could say, you are the lifter of my head. Genesis 15 is the story of Abraham and God and the covenant that they made with one another. You see, then uh, they didn't go to a court to get uh, a stamp of approval, a notary public to say, okay, this contract is binding. They didn't do that. How they made sure a contract was binding was this, is that, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take an animal and we're gonna sacrifice it. We're gonna, we're gonna slice it down the middle and we're gonna put one part of the animal on this side and one part of the animal on the other side. And then we're gonna walk through this, through this sacrifice together, okay? We're gonna walk through this sacrifice together. And then uh, if I fail on my end of the bargain, what I'm saying is I'm gonna become like one of these animals. So Abraham, when Abram knew at this point when God said, listen, Abram, because he was, he was like, you know what? How do I know these promises that God made me are gonna come true? And then God said, okay, listen, Abram, here's what I want you to do. I want you to cut up some animals and I want you to cut up, oh, I want you to have some birds, but I want you to cut up the animals and I want you to put the animals on either side and make like a little pathway through. And Abram's like thinking to himself, you know what? God's gonna have me walk through. He's gonna have me walk through to make a covenant with him, to let him know that I am not going to go back on my word. But you know, and I know that's not what happened. Listen to what Genesis 15 verse 17 says. It says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Abram didn't walk through the sacrifice. God did. did it. God is saying, I'm making the covenant with you that I know that one day you will disobey and I will become like these slaughtered animals. Fast forward several hundred years thousand years and you see the Lord Jesus with a cross on his back and he's walking up this hill the Via Del Rosa you have people on either side of him 
hurling insults at him. And Jesus is taking the place of their death. How do I know that Jesus will lift my head? Because when he was on that cross and he breathed his last, last, he said, Father, into my hand, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. What happened? He said, it's finished. And he, and he bowed his head and he died. His head bowed. But then three days later, his head raised up and he was alive again. And how do I know, how did David know that his head would be lifted? It's because the sacrifice and the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 15 that carried all the way to uh, uh, Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And he died on the cross and his head was lifted. And because his head was lifted, your head can be lifted and my head can be lifted. Not because of my moralistic deism, not because of anything good that I have done, but God made a covenant with me that said, if you sin and you confess your sin and you are sorry and repent of that sin, listen, I will lift your head. David is saying, you know what? I've, I've failed as a king. You're the lifter of my head. I've failed as a husband. You're the lifter of my head. I've failed as a, a leader. I, I, I will lift your head. I've failed even as a believer. I will lift your head. Church, can I ask you this morning, is there an area of your life that, where your head is just down, maybe because the enemy has beaten you up because of your own sin? Look not at that, but look to the one who can lift your head, the Lord Jesus. Next and quickly, I know that God is for us because he hears us. He listens to us. Verse four says, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. He answered me. David is fleeing Jerusalem and he's looking back on the city you know, the temple's not built yet, but he sees the place where the Holy of Holies was. And he looks back on the city and he sees that and he, and he says, God hears me out of his holy hill. The Expositor's Bible Commentary states that in the treaties of the ancient East, the king expected his vassals to obey him. And he promised to come to their aid. For David, God is more than Lord because he calls him uh, Father. David's confidence in prayer lies not in righteous deeds done in the flesh, but in the gracious promises of God. Even in moments of great despair, when the soul feels abandoned by all others, comfort may be drawn from the assurance that God answers. Church graduates, we know that God is for us because he answers our prayers. Growing up, we used to go to my mom and papa night's house. And we'd aunts and uncles, cousins, we'd all sit around in the small living room and, um, and just talk and chat and have a good time. And uh, Papa couldn't have seen, he couldn't have hear. You know, he had these big old thick glasses on and attached to the thick glasses was this hearing aid about the size of a toaster. We'd be sitting there talking all of a sudden, all of a sudden we'd hear something. We're like, what in the world is that? And we'd look over at Papa all night and he'd be going like this right here. He'd be flat, flapping his ear, like trying to get that noise to stop. And his, his hearing aid, his battery in his hearing aid was going bad. He couldn't have hear anyway, you know. God doesn't have any hearing problems. He hears us loud and clear. 
What do you need to cry out to, to God for today? Because Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Psalm 6, 9 and 10 says, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. Maybe you need to cry out today to the Lord for salvation. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You need to cry out to him. And you know what? If you cry out to him, he'll answer. Maybe you're like David and you've committed to sin and, and, and your head's held low. It's, it's hung low. Cry out to him. Maybe other people are coming against you like they were coming against him, coming against David. Cry out to him. God hears you when you cry out to him. Even though there are a few other attributes in this psalm that lead us to believe that God is for us, the last one that I want to focus on this morning is that he is our peace. Verse five says, I lay down and slept and awoke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David was so much at peace, even in the midst of his struggle and his trial and his, and his attacks by Satan that he could lay down and sleep at night. David had such confidence in God that he was able to sleep. Matthew Henry says this, it says, it seems here to be meant of the wonderful quietness and calmness of David's spirit in the midst of his dangers, having by prayer committed himself and his cause to God and being sure of his protection, his heart was fixed and he was easy. Is your heart fixed this morning? Is it easy? Are you peaceful? Because God is the giver of peace. As a little boy, I sometimes had nightmares and I would, they'd wake me up and then I would get out of my bed and I'd go to my mom and dad's bedroom and sometimes I'd just tap on dad's arm and say, dad, I'm scared. Can I, can I, can I come sleep with y'all? Yeah, sure, son. He picked me up and he put, him, put me in between him and mom. And some nights says this so bad, I'm so scared. I didn't wait for that, man. I just took off running from my bedroom, right? I took off running and when I hit the doorway, I was like, Phew. I mean, that's a jump. I like jumping, man. Boom, and I land right in between mom and dad. They knew what I was there for. That's where I felt at peace. That's where you feel at peace, right next to your father. We know that God is for us because he's our shield. We know that God is for us because he's our glory. We know that God is for us because he is the one that lifts our head. We know that God is for us because he's the one who answers our prayers. We know that God is for us because he is the one who gives us peace. Here's the application. Don't quit because God is your shield. Do all that you do for the glory of God. Trust in his covenant forgiveness. Cry out to him and find your peace in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the attention of these good people in this room. I know it's gone long. But now, Father, as we come to a time of invitation, I pray, God, that you would have your will and way and people would be obedient. Ignore the clock and do what they feel you are calling them to do. God, I, I thank you that you're our shield, you're our glory. You are the one who lifts us. You are the one who forgives us and you're the one who gives us peace. God, I pray that in this moment of invitation that we would cry out to you, be obedient to you, that you would have your will and your way in our life. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.